My dears, welcome back. I hope however that time was spent, there was a sense of nurturance um, and bees, perhaps. As I mentioned before, we'll just move right into our sit. So again, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, drop the gaze, and kind of pulling your energy back home in the body. Feeling your feet on the ground, if they are on the ground. Feeling into the sit bones, what they're what they're resting upon, what's supporting you. Again, taking your place in this sangha of ours. And just landing with a sense of there's nothing else to do, there's nowhere else to be. You have already committed. And if it's helpful to imagine rooting through your feet as if we were in a beautiful forest with rich loamy soil and you could sort of dig your feet in a little bit into the earth, imagining if it's helpful roots connecting you into the richness of the earth's energies. Imagining if it's helpful from one leg, all the energy that's not serving you comes down from the head through the body, down one leg into the into this rich loamy soil. Just releasing that which doesn't serve, the earth will alchemize it. And then with, through the other leg, through those roots, drinking in uh, energies that would be most helpful if it's uh, groundedness, steadiness, strength, stability. So releasing through one leg, drinking in with the other. And just allowing the body to settle evermore. And if it's helpful to even just sort of let that image stay, if you're rooting that rootedness to the earth, the connection to the earth. As for the anchor, I actually want to perhaps moving from this rootedness into that sense of spaciousness. Yeah, that oft-quoted line that the mind is like a blue sky. Thoughts are like clouds, but the spaciousness of that blue sky that's always there, regardless of the particular weather system that's moving through. Yeah. And allowing ourselves to align with that spaciousness of the blue sky or the spaciousness of the horizon when we stand on the the beach looking out at the ocean, that vast sense of space. So it is above and around, so it is within. So inviting a sense of connection through the visual image, if that's helpful, to this element of spacious space, spaciousness. Again, feet rooted to the ground, if that's helpful. We can occupy both, yeah. Rootedness, groundedness. Feeling into the bones, the relative stillness, this earth element of our body. And then this vast spaciousness. And I'm going to add one more invitation, and if it, we can play with it or not, just whatever feels useful. But we know the mind will wander. 
you know, start thinking about something or planning something or worrying about something. Okay. And just noticing these. These are like the, the thought clouds, yeah. They come in, they arise, they pass away. Emotional states can come in, arise, pass away. And the deeper invitation here is to align ourselves with that sense of spaciousness, the blue sky, the uh, horizon, sky, horizon, and where it's sort of the, the sky and the ocean meet that horizon line. Such that all that we're experiencing can be held. Yeah, allowing, inviting in a sense of spaciousness within our this very fathom-long form of ours that can hold it all that's here. So these layers of spaciousness, that which we can be invited in, so spaciousness between the cells, in the blood vessels, in the fascia, in the muscle tissue, in the organs, Inviting in a sense of spaciousness there, spaciousness of the mind, spaciousness of our sangha, vast spaciousness again of the blue sky, of that sky-ocean line, yeah, to both feel into a sense of connection that space is holding each of us. sense of possibility whatever might be feeling like it's too much so we pull that camera lens way back have the widening scope of oh this too there's room for this too and again if it's helpful allowing there to be in a, uh, a direction of the attention towards our connectivity in this space this sangha of ours sharing space as Dharma sisters. Yet another piece of this layering of spaciousness. Oh yeah, this too. Holding the experiences of being human with the 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows. Okay, there's space for this. We are collectively holding space for each other and being held by the great blue sky and the reality that no matter where we are, there's always more space than anything else. So just allowing yourself to play with the felt sensation of space and spaciousness within the body, aligning if it's helpful with the visuals. And resting in the sense of just a gentle, curious awareness. Oh, it's like this. Knowing there's no such thing as a bad sit, we come, we take our seats, and we see how it is. And again, please feel my gratitude that we get to sit together.
Beautiful. No. Yeah. Thank you so much. Just a check in. How is the background noise okay? Can you all hear? It's okay. Sounds okay. Great. Um, yeah. Thank you. Such a nice sit. Um, okay. Really? This sounds okay. <laughs> this is really loud. Okay. Super. Thank you. Um, it was such a fun image to play with the blue sky because there was a period during the sit where it was dumping rain. This was like, um, they're calling it atmospheric river here, but it was so fun to kind of play with the imagining the blue sky and um, how our moods sometimes can feel like that torrential downpour and to have that sense of spaciousness of somewhere up there, there is a blue sky. And just personally, that's a really helpful image for me when things can just be in, um, loud and busy in my mind to be like, okay, and then go back up to have that sense of spaciousness. So I hope that it was useful to play with. Um, and when I kind of can continue playing with this theme today in, in this way of which, how can we, well, kind of two things. How do we approach our meditation? And I came across this quote by a um, Australian Dharma teacher by the name of Barb Sharples. And he writes, don't meditate to fix yourself, to heal yourself, to improve yourself, to redeem yourself. Rather, do it as an act of love, of deep, warm friendship to yourself. In this way, there is no longer any need for the subtle aggression of self-improvement, for the endless guilt of not doing enough. It offers the possibility of an end to the ceaseless round of trying so hard that wraps so many people's lives in a knot. Instead, there is now meditation as an act of love. How endlessly delightful and encouraging. And I love this because I think so many times, especially sort of doctors that are recommending mindfulness, like, oh, you're anxious, well, you should meditate. Or if this is going on, you should meditate as if it's a prescription, which is a lovely prescription, but it can kind of fall into that heading of like this endless list of self-care things we need to do to stay sane. And this idea of remembering, like, oh, wait, this can be a self, this is, can be an act of self-love, of appreciation, of playfulness, and extending kind of a hand of friendship towards ourselves, as opposed to, I need to sit and deal with this, and the meditation is a way to do it. And it is uh, the undertaking of working with the mind can be so profoundly helpful and being careful about what attitude we bring to it, uh, a sense of, you know, the, the pressure of having a daily meditation practice not because it's something to, to check off the list of I did my stretches and I took my supplements and I did my meditation. It's so easy to fall into that of sort of what we can cram into those early hours of the day or at night, but really allowing there to be, oh, wait, this is, um, I, I love that this is an offering of friendship to myself. Oh, um, and, and, and a way the generosity of all of us showing up today, it's an act of friendship to each one of us. Yeah, that we can sit together, hold the space together lean into each other even though we're on zoom the ways in which it's possible to tap into sangha as a place of of, of friendship in the off-quoted line of um ananda uh variously whether it's sort of the buddha's right-hand man or his cousin or however he's described had said to the buddha many of you know the story of um friendship must be half of the holy life and the buddha's like no no uh ananda no friendship is all of the holy life and sort of again pointing to that necessity of connection and friendship but the friendliness that's embedded in that uh, as is in the metta uh, loving kindness the friendliness 
towards ourselves, and can we infuse the attitude to which we come to our meditation practice with a sense of, well, this is going to be an act of friendship that I can just sit and be quiet. And often sits can be unpleasant. Like there's so much that can be going on and some sits can be like, when is that bell going to ring? And other times like, oh no, don't come too soon. And watching the part that might be aversive to the sit, it's just a part that's aversive, right? And that's the way that big blue sky can be of like, well, then come back. So there's aversion that's its own cloud form or its own rainstorm. Okay. And sometimes we're sitting with a lot of fear and anxiety. Okay, yeah. Or um, the more positive emotions of delight and joy. Okay, just different cloud formations. And when it can feel like too much, one of the places of, of, of a resource can be going back up, sort of that 30,000 foot view, which I'm kind of jumping around here. Um, equanimity can kind of, the one of the synonyms to Yupeka, how it's translated is that kind of 30,000 foot view, which is embedded in the sense of, oh, there's space. This too, this too. Um, so um, that thread, which I'll pick back up in a minute. Um, but there's two, that point. Um, was that again? Yeah. So this is a, a poem by Breathe. It's called Breathe by Alistair HMP Dumfries. And I don't know what the HMP stands for. Um, but stress hooks its claws into the brain, creating false truths and unreal realities to confuse, to assault, to breaking point. There's no refuge in the past or the future. The only answer, breathe. When thoughts spiral out of control like a jet plane on a fatal collision course, there's no respite, no saving grace. When even sleep becomes a banned destination, look to the place of salvation. Breathe. Anxiety can build and surge in a flood, overwhelming rational ideas and calm. Depression throws its hooks into the mind and drags the thoughts into the mud. The perfect antidote? Breathe. Focus not on the unchangeable past or the unknownness of the future, but on the now, the this moment, your breath. Let it bring the calm that is desperately needed. The final answer? Breathe. And with each breath, can we imagine that sense of spaciousness breathing in? So the wind element, breathing in, filling up the lungs, breathing out, the movement of air through the system as an embrace of not just the breath, but the spaciousness of, oh yeah, if, they, if we can envision, again, through the mental imaging of the blue sky or that vast ocean expanse, that sense of spaciousness, breathing it in also can help as a way of slowing us down and allowing there to be, okay, this is here, the anxiety, the fear, the stress. Okay. Can it be held in that larger context of spaciousness and a steadiness of, okay, I can meet this. Yeah. And sometimes it can be like, no, I can't. It's too overwhelming, right? That this nervous system might need another nervous system to help co-regulate, right? Again, we can't always do it by ourselves. In fact, rarely can we so where do we find um again our sense of sangha but a sense of connection to others and to other bodies that allows this animal body to settle the opposite is also true that sometimes we're with people um and sort of the what the fear and, and anxiety can be contagious so when this nervous system is around a body that's really uh anxious it's it's maybe not helpful yeah, and being able to pay attention to this instrument of ours that resonates and picks up and absorbs 
what environments are most uh, helpful for healing, for settling, how to protect the body, sort of a, a, a cloak so we don't absorb, um, that we can sit with someone who may be anxious but not necessarily take it in. Yeah. And I think this way of whole leaning, so I'm going to be a little heavy handed here with the notion of spaciousness, mm-hmm. but if we can lean into or lean back into a sense of spaciousness, there's more capacity. Yeah. And I say this often, but the uh, translation of Saha, which is kind of classically translated as faith, my preferred definition is it's um, trusting in the capacity to meet what comes. And as we practice week after week with just a settling down, a resting, a breathing, oh, in this breath, shortening our gaze of expectations of what we can do sort of today tomorrow five years from now to oh this moment this breath can i settle can i breathe in the sense again of spaciousness uh, and rest there because as that line of sort of can we wait for the mud to settle such that the wise action can occur then we can be more responsive and it unhooks us from that reactivity that when we're caught in the kind of the cycle of what can be called afflictive emotions sort of Fear, anger, anxiety, rage, all of that that can be really um, clenching. That's uh, hard to um, be skillful there, right? And likely we're going to be more in the lower part of the brain, the reptilian or the limbic system. Nothing really skillful comes out of that part of the brain other than to like run away or to be very reactive. Yeah. The breathing can allow the uh, executive functioning to come back online. It can allow the nervous system to settle. And again, it doesn't happen necessarily like that. Sometimes the habit patterns or there's a hijacking of the nervous system into that clenched place. Okay, so it takes some time. Um, but it can may take days, weeks, years, but there's in that act of from clenching to unclenching, the body learns like, oh, this is possible. So slowing down enough to catch it. Oh, this is what this feels like when there's an exhale. This is what it feels like to imagine a sense of spaciousness. It may be fleeting, but the fact, but the the mere arising of it at all is like, oh, it's this. It's this known experience. And then you lose it. Okay. But then another moment is possible. So believing and trusting in that sense is we can always begin again. This is here. Okay. Can we begin again? This is from James Cruz, Self-Compassion. My friend and I snickered the first time we heard the meditation teacher, a grown man, calling himself honey with a hand placed over his heart to illustrate how we too might become more gentle with ourselves and our runaway mind. It's been years since we sat with legs twisted on cushions, holding back our laughter. But today I found myself crouched on the floor again, not meditating exactly, just agreeing to be still, saying honey, to myself each time I thought about my husband splayed on the couch with aching joints and fever from a tick bite. What if he never gets better or considered the threat of more wildflowers flowers and the possible collapse of the, of the Gulf stream. And then remembered that in a few more minutes, I'd have to climb down to the cellar and empty the bucket. I placed beneath the leaky pipe that can't be fixed until next week. How long do any of us really have before the body begins to break down and empty its mysteries into the air? Oh, honey, I said for once without a trace of irony or blush of shame, 
the touch of my my own hand on my chest like that of a stranger oddly comforting in spite of the facts yeah and again this turning towards ourselves oh honey this is hard yeah Kristen F that her three main tenet points or pillars of self-compassion turning towards ourselves oh honey this is so hard yeah feeling this oh this is hard to be anxious to be fearful yeah this is what this feels like right so the turning towards the mindfulness that comes it feels like this in the lungs and the belly and the jaw and then all the other humans on this earth that may be caught up in that same sense of anxiety fear worry so those three places both and that third one is connection oh yeah other people feel this too there's very little I believe that we can experience as humans that someone somewhere hasn't already experienced. Yeah. And being again, using that as oh, yeah, this too, a connection into uh, our human experience and connection to others. So to pierce that sense of it's just me and I'm all alone and it's too much. Yeah. Again, there comes a constriction. Even as I say that I can feel like, you know, wanting to hide under the table. Um, not much good happens then that may be necessary at times. Um, in the sense of a, when there are, re- are real threats, but when is the threat just more in in a habit of the mind? And how do we interrupt it and provide a different way of being, right? So that invitation, like, just breathe, you know, inhaling through the nose and then exhaling a little bit longer, ways of just momentarily even resetting the system to begin again, yeah. Um, that is, this poem, it's funny, I, I came across it and it's, it's, uh, and it's sort of the maybe six or seven sites it showed up and it's always noted as the felt sense prayer as read by Tarbrock. <laughs> so I didn't hear the Tarbrock people where in which she read this, but um, the author is unknown. So I'm going to read this. It's kind of long. Um, so bear with me, but it's called the felt sense prayer. I am the pain in your head, the knot in your stomach, the unspoken grief in your smile. I'm your hot flashes your fragile low back, your agitation and your fatigue. I'm your high blood pressure, your elevated blood pressure, your fear of challenge, your lack of trust. You tend to disown me, suppress me, ignore me, inflate me, coddle me, condemn me. You usually want me to go away immediately, to disappear, just back into obscurity. More times than not, I'm only the most recent notes of a long symphony the most evident branches of roots that have been challenging, that have been challenged for seasons. So I implore you, I am the messenger with good news. As disturbing as I can be at times, I'm wanting to guide you back to those tender places in yourself, the place where you can hold yourself with compassion and honesty. I may ask you to alter your diet, get more sleep, exercise regularly, breathe more consciously. I might encourage you to seek a vaster reality and worry less about the day-to-day fluctuations of life. I may ask you to explore the bonds and the wounds of your relationship. Wherever I lead you, my hope is that you will realize that success will not be measured by my eradication, but by the shift in the internal landscape from which I emerge. I am your friend, not your enemy. I belong. I have no desire to bring pain and suffering into your life, I'm simply tugging at your sleeve, too long immune to gentle nudges. I desire for you to allow me to speak to you in a way that enlivens your higher instincts for self-care. 
My charge is to energize you, to listen to me with a sensitive ear and the heart of a mother attending to her precious baby. You are a being so vast, so complex, with amazing capacities for self-regulation and healing. Let me be one of the harbingers that lead you to the mysterious core of your being, where insight and wisdom are naturally available when called upon with a sincere heart. I'm going to read one more and then we'll do an exercise. So allowing that to kind of uh, resonate or uh, land and then to listen to this. uh, Love after love, Derek Walcott. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. And to me, both each of these poems sort of invites a similar turning towards ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Again, kind of pulling your energy back from the screen and turning it inward. Checking in with the body, sitting here or standing or lying down. And in the first poem in those lists of uh, the grief, the hot glasses, the... um, the anger, the lack of trust. Curious what, if you kind of play with that internally, what parts like this call for your attention? And it may be maybe anxiety, it may be an ache in your back, it may be a, um, a headache, it may be a pressure somewhere. But and the, turning towards that, which may be uh, a tugging, a tugging at your attention a messenger with good news that may be unpleasant in its momentary arrival. Is there a a challenging felt sense that is persistent? And it may be helpful just to do a body scan for some of us. It might be like, oh yeah, it's this that comes. It might be the insomnia. It might be... um, the pit in the bottom of the stomach, or again, a backache, a twitch. And to be able to hold whatever this is that's tugging at our attention, again, as a messenger, as a friend. A friend that's saying, wait, pay attention to me. I care about you, and I want you to know this. A voice that is guiding you back to those tender places in yourself, that it's so easy to forget in the rush and in the hustle of our days, or in the rush, in the hustle of our minds. So as you greet yourself in this arriving, this part 
that's pulling on you for attention? How is it to meet yourself in this way? And allowing there to be, again, the sense of spaciousness in the turning towards to understand what's the message here? What am I wanting? What is this wanting me to know? How can I more fully allow this voice, this tug, to guide me back tenderly to those places in the heart? Where we can love ourselves again more fully and feast on the fullness of our lives. It also calls to mind, of course, Rumi's guest house. And sort of the, the depression, the meanness, whatever the emotions are, have been sent from a guide. Whether they sweep our house empty of its furniture, they're sent from beyond to clear us out for some new delight. But we need to be able to shine that light of awareness to understand, oh, that's what this is. This impatience, this frustration, this anxiety, this bellyache, this tight jaw. Oh, Can we start to view these felt senses as offerings, as teachers? And letting ourselves sit in the spaciousness to understand what the teaching is, to be open to receive what the wisdom is. And these can be the questions that aren't answerable in these moments, but we kind of live into the questions, allowing that it'll take the time it takes. But there's an intentionality here to turn towards ourselves and the different teachers that are in this body of ours that are guiding us home to our true selves. going to stop us here and just invite you to kind of keep playing with this conversation the conversation that's perhaps been initiated between these different felt experiences in the body meeting that with a sense of spaciousness and saying okay what can I learn here what's wanting to be known so thank you so much for your kind attention please know that all the poems um that I read are going to be part of the, um, what are we calling it? The women's guide, (laughs) the reference guide that Carlita so beautifully curates every week. Um, And then we'd just love to open this up to hear your comments or experiences. It's also a great time for Dharma questions if you have any or questions. 
Um, and just look forward to hearing from you and just ask when you do Sherry to stay with your own experience. And uh, thank you again. Yeah, and Carlita, thanks for putting that up. Thank you.